Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. And so, the title of this message is this, this morning, the message God wants the church to hear today, the message, the message that God wants to hear, the message God wants the church to hear today. I know that's a bold statement, but I'm going to show you from scripture what what I believe really is the message that God wants the church to hear today. So... To set this up, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. If you've been coming on Wednesday night, you've heard me preach in in the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and chapter 3, there's seven churches. There's seven different letters. Jesus appears to these angels. Jesus appears to these messengers, and he says, write seven letters to seven different churches. And so... After that last church, the seventh church, you have Revelation chapter 4. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But when you study these out, these seven letters to the seven different churches, there's different applications. Did you know that? The word of God is layered, right? Like there's something that God could say to the prophet Jeremiah concerning the people of Israel that we read about in the book of Jeremiah, but yet it has a dual meaning. It was literal to those people, but yet it was also prophetic because it was applying to a people that were coming later as well. So there's always multiple layers to the word of God. And in these seven letters, there's, there's three different specifically layers, you could say, ways that we read it, ways that we apply it. There's literal interpretation. That means the seven churches... They were seven literal churches, amen, that existed almost 2,000 years ago. So say literal. Then there's, there's personal. Say personal. One way that we read these letters is that we read it just like we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We read these letters just like we read Paul's letters. We apply them personally to ourselves. You know, because when you read through these letters, if you've never done it before, I pray that you go home today and you dig and you begin to read because I can't get away from it. I'm shook by it, in fact. And you begin to read the expectation that Jesus had for these Christians, the things that he rebuked them for, the things he commended them for, the things that he said, well done, you're doing this very well, and the things that he threatened them saying, you, you need to repent from what you're doing, and if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. You know, and it shakes me to the core because, as, as I said earlier, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that if he expected it of a Christian in the early church, he still expects it today. He doesn't sympathize, well, I understand you're American. In America, we do things a little differently. That's, that, Jesus is not an American. Jesus is not a white man. He's not an African man. He's actually a Middle Eastern man. Jesus didn't have brown hair and blue eyes. Are you with me? He's not an American. Y'all with me? If he expected it then, he expects it now. If he condemned it then, he condemns it now. And it's really shaken me to the core. 
Um, and so there's the literal, there's the personal, we, we apply it to ourselves, and then there's this last interpretation. It's a prophetic interpretation, which means this, that these seven different churches, many Bible scholars, renowned Bible scholars, men and women of God that have studied the word of God will tell you these seven different churches represent seven different ages in the church age. Right, The church was birthed in Acts chapter 2, around 33 A.D. Here we are in 2022. It's coming up on, in, in 2033 will be 2,000 years since the church was birthed. Are you with me? Throughout that time, the church has went through different stages, went through different trials, different things have risen, different things have fallen. There's different ages in the, within the church age. Amen. And so today I'm going to address you the last church, the Laodicean church. This is in Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22. And so this is the last church before the rapture, which is depicted in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, let me just explain the rapture. I believe most of you are Christians. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. But the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not die. This is the Apostle Paul saying this, but we will be transformed. Say transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye. When the trumpet is blown, say the trumpet. That's very important for you to understand, to to hang on to that word, the trumpet. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. So the Bible says that there's going to be a trumpet sound, that the dead in Christ will rise, and that those that are alive when this event takes place will be instantly transformed, will receive a glorified body, just like Jesus' body was when he was resurrected from the grave. Amen. We ain't going to be a bunch of ghosts floating around in heaven. When Jesus was resurrected, Thomas could feel his hands. Thomas could feel his side. He ate with them. He drank with them. He was, he was, but he was a heavenly being because although he was physical, you could see him, talk to him, feel him. He could walk through walls. He was a higher dimensional being. And we'll receive bodies just like the Lord. That's amazing, right? But so look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. Paul says, well, we, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with, with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. There's the trumpet again. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So you have this picture, Jesus Christ who came. He's coming back again, the Bible says. And the rapture is different than the second coming. The Lord will appear in the air. There will be a trumpet blast. As I said, the dead in Christ will rise. Then together with them, we'll go and meet Christ in the air and we'll be transformed into his likeness. We'll be taken into the third heaven with the Lord. Amen. Am I losing any of you this morning yet? No. Okay, so we actually have a picture of that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. You have these seven letters to these seven different churches. It gets done with the last church, and then in Revelation chapter 4, John says, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice that I heard spoke to me before like a trumpet blast. Say a trumpet blast. 
said, come up here and I'll show you what must happen after this. Instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne of heaven and someone sitting on it. So he goes on to to describe the throne room. But just listen, he heard a voice, the, the shout of the archangel. He heard the trumpet call, the trumpet blast of the Lord. And it said, come up here. That is actually a picture of the, the word, what it means, the rapture, to be caught up. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to my message this morning here. There's seven different churches. They make up seven different periods of time. And I want to address the last church on the earth before the rapture takes place. What is the condition of that church, and what is God's biblical message to that church? You know, I love this because it takes all the digging away. We don't have to guess what God is saying to that group of people. If we can identify that group of people, then we know what God is saying to that people because he showed us prophetically nearly 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me? And I'll go ahead and tell you, I believe... I I believe that we are in the final moments of time. I believe that we are in in the final church age, within the church age, before the catching away of the saints. I believe that the rapture, the return of the Lord is just right around the corner. If you were here during January, I spent a month teaching the book of Revelation, teaching the signs, teaching how so many things are prophetically falling into place, things that Jesus said were going to happen, things that Daniel prophesied about that are literally taking place in front of our very eyes. You know, even in our lifetime, since 1948, Israel restored as a sovereign nation, first time it ever happened in history. Donald Trump reconciled Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. There's a third temple in the, in the works of being rebuilt. I mean, everything, guys, he's standing right at the door. I believe we're in the last moment of time. So I believe that this, this church, that the prophetic message to this church applies to our time, to our day, to our age. I'm going to give you a few things here. Um, When you read these seven different letters, to each church, Jesus begins by commending them. I see the things that you're doing. You've suffered for me without quitting. Good job. You've not tolerated evil people. Good job. You've identified false prophets. Good job. He's he's commending them, and then he comes behind and gives a rebuke. This is something that's interesting. This Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3 is the only church that he has no good jobs. None. He doesn't say good job about anything. There's not one thing that he looks at this church and says, you're doing this great. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. It's nothing but a warning, a warning. I pray that the Lord would cause this message to get, I'm not trying to make friends. I really, when I read this, I get a conviction from the Lord to warn the people, to warn you sitting in this room, to hopefully, Lord, open the door for many more to hear this, to warn them. There's a warning here. So, you know, I want to say this as well. We have some major issues in America, but some of the largest churches 
in church history, I say some of the largest churches that have ever existed in church history exist today. And just because something's large doesn't mean it's good, right? But there are other churches in the world, in Africa, and other nations that, that are large, that are, I mean, absolutely, they're doing the works of Christ. It's wonderful. It's great. Amen. Um, and so I asked the Lord about that. I said, Lord, how are we living in this time? But yet the churches, you know, Bishop David Oedepo, he's got a million people at his church. They're not preaching seeker sensitivity. I'll talk about all of that. How does this align? How is, there's, how is there nothing that you're saying that you're commending to this church? And the Lord just brought me to this reality that I believe scripturally that as we, as we get closer to the return of the Lord, we are going to see the condition of the church change. What's going to take place is this, is the Bible talks about what's known as the great apostasy. What is the great apostasy? Jesus said in Matthew 24, many will depart from me. Say depart. There's going to to be a moment, a, a, a thing that takes place in the last days where many Christians are going to depart from the true faith. Paul told Timothy the same thing. Many will turn away from me. Many will depart from the true faith. So this is a warning. This is a warning to guard yourself so that you're not one of those many. You know, the Lord asked me a question, and I I was preaching this to the youth Friday night, but are we really preparing people for the last days? Are we doing it in America? I talked to them. I I taught something you would never think you'd teach students. You know, the Bible promises, Matthew 24, many will be persecuted, killed, beaten, threatened. Look at that. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, you'll be arrested, you'll be persecuted, you'll be killed, you'll be hated all over, my, all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away and betray and hate each other. Many will turn away. Many will depart, another translation says. This is all signs of the second coming of the Lord in Matthew chapter 24. You'll be hated, you'll be persecuted, you'll be killed. I told our kids point blank that if the Lord tarries another 30 to 50 years, there will come a day where Christians are getting killed in the United States of America. I believe even by their own government. Are y'all with me this morning? That we're so just trying to make friends with everybody. We're just trying to be liked by everybody. We're just trying to give everybody cotton candy to fill the room up. But I have this harsh reality. Are we creating disciples that if in 10 years from now, a nation, a government turns against them and begins to threaten them with their lives, are they going to stand? Because here's another scriptural reality. There is no guarantee of your salvation if you compromise. Don't shoot me down, but it's the God-honest truth. He says you'll be arrested, persecuted, killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Many will turn away and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. Look at verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What endorsed through what? Being hated, being persecuted, being arrested, being killed, being ostracized. The one that endures through the temptation of the sin running rampant through the world. The person that stands will be given the crown of life. 
Read the seven letters every single time Jesus says that. I see your persecution. He told one church, you're about to be thrown into prison where you'll suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful to me, I'll give you a crown of life. If you don't depart, I'll give you fruit from the tree of life. So here's the reality. As the return of Christ draws near, we're not going to get more friendly with the world. The world's going to change to where Christians in America are getting their heads cut off. Churches are being burnt down. A government turned against the people. Are you with me? And if we're just creating this lukewarm, lethargic Christian that has no full surrender, and that was my message to them Friday night, the cost of being a disciple, you have to fully surrender. If you don't fully surrender now, you'll never stand then. If there's any compromise in you, if you have a hard time concerning the things of God, being faithful with the basic things of God, you will not stand then. And I'm no judge. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to hell. But I can tell you and prove to you from the scripture that if in that moment when being persecuted, threatened, even with your life, hated, you compromise the gospel, there is no guarantee for your salvation scripturally. I don't know about you, but as the pastor of this church, that scares me. You know what that causes me to do? That causes me to get on my knees, to get this word open, and to really do some digging in my own heart. Saying, Lord, I better make sure that I'm not playing the Christian hokey pokey. I better make sure that I'm not just being Pentecostal or charismatic. I better make sure that I have the assurance of my faith. I better make sure that my life is built on the rock of your word. I better make sure these things are settled in my heart. Because you think, you think 2020 and tw- through 2022 that we've just beat it, we're done, it's over. They were just testing the people, guys. Are you kidding me? That wasn't the climax of the devil's agenda. Read the book. That was a test. That was just a, that was like, just simply putting it out there, getting people to begin to accept some of these things, to embrace an antichrist system, to embrace future, when the church is gone, the person of the antichrist. Are y'all with me this morning? If not, I love you anyways. I pray that you hear this as a warning from God. So, I asked the Lord. You know, we, the church, I know it's, we have some major issues in America, like I said, but there's churches throughout the world that are doing this thing, Lord. So how can there be nothing good that you have to say to that group of people? And the Lord said, because of the great apostasy, because there will, be, there will come a time, and it's coming soon, where many will depart from the true faith. Are you with me? Many who think that they're saved, that they're not saved. Are you, y'all listening to me? I'm not talking about they'll just go chasing off, you know, well, they're becoming Muslims now. They're becoming Buddhists now. They're just becoming atheists. No, apostasy, it's a form. It claims the name of Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It claims Christianity, but it's not the Christianity of the Bible. Are you with me? When you study the Bible, even in Revelation chapter uh, 2, the first two, the, the church in Ephesus, he mentions it. The next church, Jesus mentions it as well. A group called the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate their evil deeds. 
If you study who the Nicolaitans were, they weren't radical Muslims. They believed in salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, but they had split off of orthodoxy. They split off from the word. They split off and created their own little group, started practicing their own little things and their own doctrines. They didn't deny the name of Jesus, but yet God said, I don't acknowledge them. I don't recognize them. In fact, I hate their evil deeds because they're corrupting the body of Christ with their teaching that comes from devils. Y'all, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about an apostasy, a form of godliness that's not godliness at all. A false, counterfeit faith. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. So, verse 14 here. Write this letter to the church in Laodicea. I'm sorry, write this letter to the angel of the church. Say the angel of the church in Laodicea. The messenger, that's another word for angel, the messenger, trying to identify what he's saying here, the messenger from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Um, and so the messenger, the angel, again, this has different applications. This literally, when it, this literal church, the literal church in Laodicea, this messenger, it was the pastor of that church. Amen. But as we said, it, there's different layers to this. It's not just literal, personal. There's prophetic application to the global body of Christ right now. So this is interesting. The messenger, the messenger, I heard this and I've never heard it before. This was William Branham that said this. He said, this means a voice, a prophet that God raises up for that age and that time. Right? John the Baptist was a messenger to a generation of people. He was a voice crying out from the wilderness. That was a mantle. He came in the spirit, the anointing of Elijah to turn the people's hearts back to God. Are you with me? He was a messenger. Apostle Paul was a messenger of a generation. He wasn't just a pastor of a church. God raised up a voice that shook an entire generation of people. Martin Luther was a messenger. God raised up a man at birth the Protestant Reformation, a messenger that, that shook a generation for hundreds of years, that broke the, the principality over entire countries, that broke the demonic principality of the Catholic Church. Y'all with me? You have different messengers, I believe, John Wesley, Great Awakening in the United States of America, he was a messenger of a generation. Okay, so there, there's coming a time, the Bible says, right before the rapture, this will be the church, this will be the condition of the church, and then God's actually giving the message, a voice, a mighty prophet of the Lord that God will raise up in that time, and this will be the message that he speaks, that they speak, that they share. This is God's message to the church today. Are you with me here? Hallelujah. So, again, he's giving us insight. This is the condition of the church. This is the message of the church. Let's keep reading here. I'm going to give you, I believe I have one, two, three, four. Five, six conditions of this church 
I could say six conditions of the church today. Verse 15 through 16, it's this. So he's saying to this church, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you were lukewarm, say lukewarm, lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Say lukewarm. Write this down. What The conditions of the last church before the rapture. The Bible says that the last church before the rapture, here's one con- the first condition. Number one, they'll be lukewarm. Put that on the board. Number one, they'll be lukewarm. Or another word, indifferent. They'll be lukewarm or indifferent. That word lukewarm, if you look at that Greek word that's used there, it literally means this. The condition of the soul wretchedly fluctuating between a torpor and a fervor of love. Say torpor. I didn't know what that word meant. I looked it up. Torpor means this, a state of physical or mental inactivity, lethargy. What does that mean? Write this to the church and warn them. You're not You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. You're in this place of mental, you're in this place of physical lethargy, inactivity. Are you with me, guys? Christians today are in a place of lethargy, of mental and physical inactivity. Are you with me? Mental and physical, they're not engaging with God in their hearts, in their minds, in their personal lives, and churches aren't engaging in the works of Christ. They're just inactive in communities. Are you all with me? So another way to describe this, look at verse 19. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn away from your indifference. Say indifference. That word indifference, it means this, lack of interest, lack of concern or sympathy, unimportant. Lack of interest, I don't know if you have that on the board. Lack of interest, lack of concern or sympathy, unimportant. So what he's actually rebuking them, saying there will come a time before the rapture where the church will get into a condition where there will be a lack of interest for the things of God. There will come a time in the church before the rapture takes place where a condition will settle settle into the church where there will be a lack of concern for the things of God. There will come a time with the churches and with the people before the rapture takes place where the things of God will become unimportant to the people. Are you with me? This will be the global condition of the church. Churches... Churches today, they're lukewarm. Mental, physical, inactivity, lack of interest, lack of concern, unimportant. And this is exactly what he said. There'll come a day where where this is the condition. Churches are lukewarm, not winning souls in the community. Not winning souls, not pushing for revival. When did churches stop doing that? When did churches stop winning souls in the community, guys? Are y'all with me here? I'll talk about this in a moment, but we've we've begun to just construct Christian country clubs for people. Let's just get the the higher demographic and, and churches know this. There's churches, they're totally built on this system. 
where they know who their targeted audience is. That this isn't for the lost, the hurting, the broken, the crippled, the lame. This is for the people that are already kind of Christian, that already watch the fireproof movie, movies and the, and the listen to the Caleb radio, and they, they own a law firm, and they have a business, and they make some money. So let's all get together, and let's put on a big Christian circus show where we, we float around on boats together and hang out, and we just have a good old time when no one's winning souls, no one's going after the lost, no one's going after after the community. In fact, we just structure everything to keep catering to the same 15% of people that are already saved. That is lukewarm, lethargy, a state of physical and mental inactivity. Churches aren't pushing for revival anymore. You can't have extended meetings anymore. Which I have been pleasantly surprised. I've been seeing revival, this, revival, that, popping up left and right. People are pushing for it. That's, that's wonderful. Hallelujah. But whatever happened to that, whatever happened to people getting, the pastors, the heart of God, people need to be shaken. People need to get on fire. Our community needs to be set ablaze. The gospel has to go out. We've got to get people in here on a Monday, maybe on a Tuesday, maybe on a Wednesday, and keep knocking, keep getting on our face, keep pushing for revival, keep pushing for a move of God. We've stopped doing that. We've got completely away from it. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. Not winning souls, not pushing for revival. We've taken prayer out of church. There's no fasting in church. There's no conviction out of, uh, in the church. We've cut off the five-fold ministry to the church. Let's not bring the prophet in because people may think that it's spooky and it's weird. Let's not bring the evangelist in because someone may get convicted of their sin. Come on, somebody. So not only are churches lukewarm, Christians are lukewarm. No daily fellowship with the Lord. You know, there's people that claim to be Christians that have no daily fellowship with God. There's people that claim to be Christians that don't pick this thing up once a month to spend time to read, to delight in the word of God, to come to know the God that they claim that they serve. What is that? That's never been done in history before. If you would have asked our fathers' fathers and our fathers' fathers' fathers that if there would ever be a Christian, a person that claims to be a Christian, that doesn't spend time with their family in the Word, that doesn't shut themselves away with God, that doesn't touch the heart of God, that doesn't pray, that doesn't seek the Lord, that doesn't read the Word, they would tell you it doesn't exist. That's not a Christian at all. Are you kidding me? Are you with me? There's no daily fellowship with the Lord. There's no prayer. There's no soul winning. There's no outreach. There's nothing in the Christian today that's driving them to go out as a harvester and win people to the Lord. What is going on right now where Christians feel content to simply live their lives, work their job, raise their own children, stay in their little space in their little circle, and think me and God got our own thing going on. I'm telling you, that's lethargy. You are physically and mentally inactive. The, the things of God have become unimportant. We have a lack of interest. And the crazy part about this is, is, Churches are catering to it. I know how it goes. You want to build a big church, they'll say, you, got you can't be having prayer meetings like that if you're going to have a big church. 
Why? No one will want to come. And if you do, just give a soft invitation. We would like to invite all of you to our prayer meeting. Bless you if you can come. Bless you if you can't come. What about somebody getting a backbone saying, no, you're a Christian. You need to be a part of this stuff. Because in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. If you don't want to devote yourself to the things that they devoted themselves to, there's a problem in the heart. Are you with me? Your heart may be lethargic. Your heart may be lukewarm. And what is the condition? What is the response of God to a person with a lukewarm heart? He says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Are you with me? We need to take prayer out. We need to take, you know, it's, it's 1157 right now, and we're, we've been flowing in the anointing. Well, we got to cut off the service in the next five minutes because someone may want to leave. Leave. Let's stop catering stuff to people that think the things of God are unimportant. No commitment, no soul winning, no outreach, no giving. Churches, they won't even teach about tithing and offering today. Are you with me? Why don't we want to teach about giving? Well, if you start talking about giving, you're going to offend somebody. Good. Let them get offended because we're here to make disciples of Christ. He said, teach these things to them that are being saved. Teach them to obey the things that I've instructed you. It ain't our job to just put on a Christian circus show. It's to teach people the word of God. And to tell somebody that you can follow Jesus with your life and give him nothing is a lie. I'm not going to lie to you. You won't follow him past next week. I can't give my 10%. You will not stand in the time of persecution. Are you kidding me? Because you can get more money. It's like, oh, I gave the Lord. Man, if I give, I may, you know, be a little bit low. Is it impossible to go make more money? (laughs) No, those are just stupid things. Are you all with me? Hallelujah. We should be teaching Christians how to pray, how how to tune into the heart of God, how to put the kingdom first, how to give, what life should look like, what our goal is, what we need to corporately come together to do to seek after that thing. That has to be put in the heart of the people. And the last church before the rapture, he said, this will depart from them. They won't be doing this anymore. They'll they'll be lukewarm. They'll be lethargic. They'll be indifferent. They'll have a lack of interest, concern. They'll deem, the, they'll deem these things unimportant. Are you with me here? So what's going to cause the church to fall into this place of the great apostasy? What, you know, are Christians just going to get a wild hair and think, well, this is just what we're going to do? No. What causes the church to fall into this condition that we read about? Uh, I'll give you two reasons why the church falls into this condition. Number one, there's no biblical standard being held to... Uh, There's no biblical standard being held for the believer. Jesus didn't lie to people, guys. Read Luke 14. He wasn't trying to gain a following. He wasn't trying to run around and influence people and make friends. He didn't lie to them. People said, let me come after you. And he said, count the cost first. 
He even said at one point, the son of man, even birds and foxes have dens and nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He, you know, Jesus had money. We could prove to you from the scripture, Jesus wasn't a broke hobo traveling around. He had money, but he was actually telling this person, will you follow me if tomorrow you don't even have a house anymore? Will you still keep following? Will you still keep? Because that's what it's going to cost you, everything. Don't even begin to try to follow me until you count the cost. It will require everything. You'll have to leave everything. Peter and the disciples, they left their boats. They left their nets. They left their wives. They left their businesses. They left everything, and they followed after Jesus. The woman with the alabaster jar, she gave everything she had of worth and broke it and poured it out on the feet of Jesus. Count the cost. We have no biblical standard held to a Christian. We're telling them that they can get saved and give their life to Jesus, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to be anything. You just simply pray that prayer, and by golly, you're going to be received by him in heaven. Well, you have a major problem when you read these seven letters on top of a plethora of other verses. God will take anyone. Are y'all with me? He stands at the door and knocks. He's willing to come in. It doesn't matter if, you're, if you were a drug addict your whole life. It doesn't matter if you've been on your fifth marriage and you're like, I've messed everything up. I've only ever destroyed everything in my life. God will take you. He'll bless you. He'll pull you out of a pit. He'll put your feet on the rock to stand. But I'm not going to lie to you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that none of these will inherit the kingdom of heaven. No drunkard, no sexually immoral, no homosexual, no abusive person, no greedy person. You can't, you can't stay with that thing. You, you know, oh, Brother John, if I had a kid come to me and say, I'm follow, I, John, you baptized me, I've been coming, and I'm struggling with pornography. You know, am I going to tell him, well, my friend, God bless you. We're all sinners. We're all going to struggle here on the earth. Now I'll tell them, you better get with the Lord and deal with that because I'm not going to lie to you. That'll send you to hell. Are you with me? There's no biblical standard. You even think about Ananias and Sapphira. What would most pastors do? They, the, the church was selling houses and selling properties and bringing them to the feet of the apostles. Laying it all down, everything. Can you guys imagine a Christian? It ain't like you're just making gains and you're giving the Lord your 10%. Literally, they were selling fields with the purpose of, I'm going to sell this, take the money, and give 100% of it to the kingdom. 100% of it to the work of the Lord. That's a different type of Christian. Can you imagine a Christian selling off a rental property? Why are you selling this off? Because I want to give a hundred grand to the church. I want to give a hundred grand into the hand of God. That's just a different type of person. Lord, help us get there, all of us. But Ananias and Sapphira came, and, and they lied. They gave a fraction of it and lied and said it was the whole amount. And Peter confronted it and said, this was yours to give or to not give. The land was yours to sell or to not sell. The, after you sold it, the money was yours to give or to not give. But yet you've lied, not to me, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. And instantly he fell and he died. His wife came in, she, he tested her, she lied too, she fell and she died. What would most pastors do? They would know that a believer is just lying right to their face and just play along with it. Okay, Lord, deal with them. No, there's a standard for being a Christian. 
Are you with me? You was lost, but you ain't lost anymore. Amen. You are found, washed in the blood of Jesus, the righteousness of God, filled with God's spirit. Hallelujah. So what causes the church to fall into this place prophetically? No biblical standard being held for the believer. Number two, lethargy being preached in the pulpits. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, Paul said, Now the Holy Spirit tells us that in the last times, that's these times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Say teachings. False teachers, false prophets that, that, that were being warned that were rising up. Not of other religions in the body of Christ. Are you with me? These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. So what's going to cause these people to turn away? He said in the last days there will come a time where the doctrine of demons gets in the pulpit. What's the doctrine of demons? Well, we just got to point number one. There will come a time where it starts being preached from the pulpits that you can give God nothing and still inherit everything. And it's a, it's a demonic doctrine that will drive people to become lukewarm, inactive, lethargic Christians that spend their whole life never winning one soul to the Lord, never doing anything. Are y'all with me? Hallelujah. So here's my warning to you this morning. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Anyone with ears to hear, listen to me. Wake up. Hallelujah. There is no lukewarm person that's saved. There isn't. You, well, I, I experienced the Lord when I was a young man. You cannot let the oil run dry. You can't let the lamp stop burning. Matthew 25, 10 virgins, they all had oils. They all had their lamps burning. When the bridegroom was delayed, half of them let the oil run out. The other half kept enough oil for the master's return. When the master came back, the other ones were out. They weren't ready to go, and so they did not get invited. They did not get welcomed into the marriage supper. Are you with me? If you're lukewarm, if you're indifferent, if you are a believer, these things are unimportant to you, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. It's a warning. So I'm obviously not going to give you all six points this morning. I'll break it up. But I do want to preach a little bit more. Is that okay? Let me ask you this question then. Why? So the number one condition, first condition, the church is going to be lukewarm and indifferent. Why is the church so lukewarm? What causes the church to become so lukewarm? We just talked about the, the lack of standard, the, the lethargy, but it's more than that. What causes the church to grow so lukewarm? Wealth and privilege. Turn to your neighbor and say, wealth and privilege. Wealth and privilege. One identifying factor of this last church before the rapture, write this down for number two, a condition of the church is that that church will be very wealthy in resources. Verse 17, he says this. Remember, he says, you're neither hot or cold, You're lukewarm, neither hot or cold. I'll spit you out of my mouth. And look what the church says. 
He said, you say I'm rich. I have everything that I want, and I don't need a thing. Yet you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So what's the condition of the church before the rapture? They'll be rich. They'll say, I'm rich, we're rich, we're wealthy. We don't need a single thing. Guys, we live in a time right now where the church, I'm talking globally, I'm talking in America, we're living in the the mega church era. Are you with me? We have more money as the church than we've ever had before. We have bigger buildings than we've ever had before. We have more freedom in this country than we've ever had before. We have more TV time. We got our little networking, our Instagrams, our Facebooks. You got the Christian celebrities rising up. We, we, there's a condition. He said, you'll say, I'm rich. I don't need anything. You got Christian celebrities who instead of preaching the word of God, they'll go interview with Whoopi Goldberg on The View and they'll sit there with their skinny jeans and a latte and act you know, like they're Justin Bieber or something. You'll have more. This church will have more than any church has ever had before. And they'll say, look at us, God. Look at our buildings. Look at our show. Look at our lights. Look at our fleet of buses. Look at all the money we have in the account. I've brought prophetic words to a church locally here, and their response was, you know we have over a million dollars in the bank, right? Good for you. Praise God for it. But you have more than people that have, that have ever come before you, and you're doing less. Are you with me? And this is what the church is. They're going to be so wealthy that the Lord was prophesying a time where the church, where the believer would have. Yeah, not only the church, the believer. Say the believer. It's so funny. Anybody ever been driving around Lufkin and looked around and said, man, there just ain't nothing to eat around here. And the Lord stopped me one day. I was sitting in that Walmart parking lot. And we were like hungry. And we're like, oh, man, you know, we always eat this stuff. And, and I think one of us said that. There's just nothing to eat around here. And then he stopped me and was like, McAllister's. Panda, you know, Taco Bell, Raising Cane's, Outback Steakhouse. Like, and it was this reality that, that we actually have more convenience, more privilege than any other people that have ever came before us, ever. More convenience than ever before. And what does this cause? It causes these pastors, it causes these churches that sit on their fat accounts and their huge, big buildings that their dad paid for and say, why do we need the anointing? Why do we need to have prayer in our church? Why do we need to fast? Why do we need to fall on our face and touch God? Why do we need to do it? Because the tithe money keeps rolling in and the show keeps going on. We don't even need, why do we need God? Lord, in fact, we've come to a place where we can do all of this without you. Why do we need God? The church builds a, a machine that runs with their, their market. They got their marketing, their partners. We got... Our networks, are you with me? Yes, sir. 
Let's not seek, our, seek the face of God and get a word that changes me, that, that brings conviction. Lord, let's not get, but God forbid we get a word that confronts something in someone's life that maybe that'll change their family's life forever. Maybe there's a man that's fallen, into, fallen backslidden and, and the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it, it's preached and, and it strikes this person's heart and now those children, their children's children, their children's children, children will never be the same because that word is preached. But we say we don't need that. We don't need that anymore. Are you with me? Why don't we need that? Well, why do I need to touch God if I can just get a creative team and hire about four or five professionals to come sit down and just make clever, creative content? Where well, we'll, we'll preach messages that'll be the perfect bite-sized Instagram reel, the perfect 45-second little message that'll get 100,000 likes on Instagram, that'll get shares, that'll get the same Christians, the same 15 or 20% of people in America that are already saved because they grew up in a you know, traditional little middle-class family that, that served the Lord. We'll get those people's tithe money. We'll get those people's loyalty. We'll get those people's friendship. And now we got the money rolling in, so who cares about the rest? Are you with me? You'll say that you're rich and we have everything, but what did he say? You're not rich at all. You think that you're so rich. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind, and you're naked. Look what the Bible prophesied about these last days. He said, these people talking about this rise, this apostasy, these false teachers, this false teaching, these people will always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. They've turned their backs on the truth. And to them, look at this, to them a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. That's in the scripture. They'll come with people that know that there's a market. That's why I'm telling y'all, listen, I'm not saying every song on K-Love or whatever the local station in, in here is bad, but I don't feel God's anointing on a lot of that stuff. I feel like there's people that know that there's a demographic that eats that stuff up and they're just selling songs and there's just a market, there's just money to be made for it. Are you with me here? And they understand that they can use the name of Jesus. They can use the holy church of the Lord Jesus Christ to make a profit, to run a business. So how do you spot these people? The, Lord, the, the Bible tells us that in these, in these days, these people, they're going to come up like weeds. Left and right. How do you spot one? There's many ways, but one clear way. It says in John 10, 11 through 13, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Look at this. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. <laughs> One way is, it, it, listen, the Bible says in the last days we'll be persecuted. You'll be arrested. Say arrested. 
I don't understand why churches shut down. Pastor, they're threatening to arrest me. Didn't Jesus say you'd get arrested? So what does that mean? Obviously, he intends for you to stand even to the point of getting arrested. No, I don't want to get arrested. I don't want, you know, Pastor, if we, if we didn't shut our church down, this community wouldn't really think super highly of us. What, who are you serving? So what do you do? It, guys, we just went through a test. I can't get over this because I don't feel like the Lord's getting over it because Christians seem to be dumb enough to keep buying into it. We went through a test. You can tell who's working for the money by who shuts down and who runs when the wolves come for the sheep. Are you with me? You had pastors that shut down and were sipping Mai Tais in Florida while their church was left unattended for several months just to be left online. Are you kidding me? Those aren't your sheep. Those are God's sheep. You don't take ownership over that. You're just doing it for the paycheck. That's what Jesus said, how to identify a true shepherd from a hired hand. And you got Christians that at the end of this, there was no accountability. There was no repentance. Let's just open it back up like, like nothing ever went on. And you still have the same people rolling into these places, feeding into it. They'll, the Lord will forgive them, but there better be some repentance. There better be some huge humility. And I told you the, the word of the Lord, the Lord gave me. He told me this. He said, you know, because here's the thing. There is no accountability. It's corrupt. Even out, You guys think the, like the assemblies of God used to be what the assemblies of God was. It's not like that anymore. I was persecuted by the assemblies of God for preaching healing too strong. <laughs> for pre foundational doctrines that they were built on. Half the people in the assemblies of God wouldn't even be ordained 50, 60 years ago. Those presbyters, those men of God, those Pentecostal men would have looked at them and been like, there's no way. There's no You know, because churches, what do we, we just have, we don't even have fasting. It's no longer prayer and fasting. We're just going to have 20 days of prayer and worship. And if you want to fast social media, you can fast social media. Did you know John Wesley wouldn't even ordain a person to be in his ministry if they didn't fast two days a week? Whenever I heard that, it convicted me. And I started fasting Wednesdays and Fridays. And I said, Lord, if that's what it took for the first great awakening, then, then that's what it's going to take now. Amen. We're not just going to do nothing and expect for everything. Expect everything. Expect that we're just going to give a 15-minute little cotton candy thing while America goes to hell and think that Jesus is okay with that. Guys, I'm telling you, you don't mess with the Lord's church. I feel the spirit of the Lord, and I'll prophesy it. There is a day, there is an Ananias and Sapphira moment coming. Judgment must begin in the house of God. Can, you, can any of you imagine someone taking advantage of your wife? Can you imagine a man taking advantage of your own wife, manipulating her, using her, pimping her out? Oh, my gosh, any man who's a man at all, they'd go handle that real fast. You think that Jesus lets these people that are running around making a show of his bride, you think he's okay with that? There's a day of reckoning. Now, he's merciful. He's kind. 
He'll forgive, but you better repent. But there are people that the machine's rolling. Like I said, the money's coming in. The buildings are erected. Some men of God have came behind us and prayed and fasted and built these huge buildings that have paid them off and handed them over to us so that we can just... I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. (laughs) And we think that the Lord's okay with that. He's not. Everything you're seeing right now, this was prophesied. This will be the condition of the church before the rapture of the church. Are y'all with me? Y'all, we, as I said, we live in a time of the most privilege that we've ever had. This is not the time to take it easy. This is the time to sit back and evaluate this privilege that we get to live in and not waste it. He said, you say you're rich. You say that you have everything that you need. Y'all, can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being blessed by the Lord. Hallelujah. In fact, I believe God, God wants the church he, God, God needs the church to have money globally. There's crusades that need to be done in America. Hallelujah. Where's Bryston? He's teaching the kids. Bryston has it in his heart to return crusade evangelism back to the United States of America. We're not going to let it die with Billy Graham. Are you with me? We're not going to let that die being our father's fathers. He has that heart. Well, God's good with that. God needs cities to be shaken. It takes money to do that. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7, let me just read this to you, and I'm going to close here. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So in verse 11, it says, That is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty... You do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. Listen, I'll speak that over the church. I'll speak that over Christians. Not only are are churches more prospering than they've ever been, Christians are more prosperous in America than they've ever been before. Be sure that in your plenty you don't forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. Regulations and decrees I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, And when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions where it is so hot and dry. He gave you water from his rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you, to test you for your own good. He did all of this so that you would never say to yourselves, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord, your God, who is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Hallelujah. When you're in your time of plenty, that is the time to be careful, the Bible says. Let me say it one more way like this. Luke 12, 48. Jesus said, but when someone does not know and then does something wrong, they'll be punished lightly. But when someone has been given much, 
much will be required in return. When someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Another translation says, to those whom much is given, much is required. We live in privilege. We live in freedom in this country. We live in prosperity. This is the time. This is the time to not waste. God has an expectation of us. Y'all, are you hearing me? Guys, I'm telling you, if God brings you to a multi-million dollar level, you better not. You better not compromise. If you have, man, the Lord's brought me into a place of great wealth, you'll give an account to God of what you do with that. Are you with me? This is the time that we are more free, we are more resourced, we are more open, we have more advantages to reach people than we ever have, more convenience, and yet we're doing less than our fathers and our fathers' fathers did. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to end with that today. We got through two of six, so come back Wednesday, and I'll keep preaching on it. Don't make me have to shelve it, because most, most people won't come back, and then, you know, we'll have a group that comes back Wednesday, and I'm like, man, we, people need to hear it, so i got to hold it till Sunday. Don't do that. Just come Wednesday. We'll stay in the same flow of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all, just lift your hands, and if you're filled with God's Spirit, I want you to pray with me in this place. Hallelujah. Come on, pray bold. Pray bold. Lord, I thank you. Light a fire in these people. Light a fire in us in the name of Jesus Christ. Convict us with your word. Consume us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord. Let us carry your flame of revival to this time and this age. Come on, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, make disciples out of this group. Make disciples out of this church. Not just seat warmers. Disciples who will stand. Disciples who will go. Disciples who will be harvesters. Lord, open up the door for them that no man can open. Shut doors that no man can shut. We call on you, Jesus Christ. You hold the keys of the kingdom which you've given to us. Let those things be open now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Put a fresh fire on every person in this room. Visit them, Lord. Every hungry heart, Lord, let them be touched by your anointing in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Did y'all receive it? Did you get it? Something to think about, pray about, meditate. Thank you, Lord. I love you. We have prayer. Holy Ghost prayer tonight, 6 o'clock. The Spirit is going to do some great things. I'm telling you it ain't a religious prayer meeting. Other than that, Wednesday night service. And uh, we got all kinds of stuff coming up. We got a revival coming up in November. 
Outreach is planned in October. Outreach planned in December. We're, doing a, we're not doing as much revival stuff in September because we have a baby coming. I said, Lord, just let me have September. We'll give the baby. October comes, and, and we're going to run even, even faster. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming this morning. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.